BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod, where at least once a week we dive into the big topics facing us as Americans. Today, the ever-important topic of U.S.-Israeli relations. Ever since 1948, when President Harry Truman recognized the new state of Israel, the relationship between the United States and Israel has been a very special one. Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East, has been the best friend of the United States, and the United States, in turn, under both Democratic and Republican presidents, has been the number one ally of Israel. But that relationship today appears to be strained. Peace talks are on hold, dispute over West Bank settlements are unresolved, and President Trump is doing his best to divide support for Israel along partisan political lines. Well, we check on where things stand today in a very special, a very a joint podcast with two longtime leaders in the field of the U.S.-Israeli relations from the organization Americans for Peace Now. Deborah Shushan is Director of Policy and Government Relations at Americans for Peace Now. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Bill. Thanks so much for having us. Good to see you. And Ori Neer is Director of Communications and Public Engagement for Americans for Peace Now and host of their podcast, PeaceCast. Hi, Ori. Welcome. Hi, Bill. Thanks for inviting us. Our, our podcast is available on all the platforms, and it's a podcast that focuses on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and efforts to resolve it. As far as I know, it's the only one that has this specific focus. Very good, and good to have you both here. Let me just ask, back up and start. What is the mission of Americans for Peace now? When were you started? What are your goals? What What's the organization all about? Okay, so we are the sister organization of Israel's peace movement, Shalom Achshav, Peace Now. Americans for Peace Now was started in the early 80s, just several years after Peace Now was started. Peace Now uh, started in 1978, or 77 actually, when uh, the president of Egypt at the time, Anwar Sadat, extended his hand in peace Mm -hmm. to Israel. The Israeli establishment, political and military, was reluctant, and a group of Israeli officers, military officers, gathered together and put pressure in the form of an open letter on then Prime Minister Menachem Begin to reciprocate and sign peace with Egypt. We know that uh, the rest is history, as they say, Israel did sign a peace agreement with Egypt. That movement, that that uh, nucleus of uh, retired Israeli officers morphed into a peace movement called Shalom Achshav, Peace Now. Uh, Americans for Peace now started as a friends of in the early 80s and then developed into an independent American Jewish organization that advocates and educates for Israeli-Palestinian peace. Right. What is the status of the peace movement today, both in Israel and here in the United States, Deborah? Well, uh, the peace movement in Israel is still uh, still alive and kicking. It is. It's not as strong uh, as it was when it was a, a mass movement uh, that that began, as Ori indicated, in the late 1970s. Um, 
and was able to mobilize uh, really significant numbers of Israelis to come out in the streets and push for uh, for peace with Egypt and um, and an end to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, after many years at this point, I mean, since uh, Begin came to power in 1977, for the vast majority of that time up until now, Israel has been under right-wing rule. Uh, and um, there are many reasons that we could talk about, but um, in part because of that, uh, we've, we've seen uh, a, a diminution in the strength of the Israeli peace movement, but it certainly very much still exists. Uh, both uh, in our sister organization, Peace Now, and other uh, left-wing uh, peace organizations, in left-wing and not just left-wing, mm -hmm. we should say, uh, peace organizations um, in Israel. We here uh, at Americans for Peace Now feel that it is extremely important uh, for progressives in the United States to support our natural allies in Israel. So when we talk about U.S.-Israeli relations, uh, what we want to do is to empower progressives, uh, to, um, voices that support peace in Israel uh, at a time, you know, that is that's extremely difficult for them. I think here in the United States, um, particularly in, in the era of Donald Trump, we are seeing a real resurgence uh, in terms of uh, particularly the Jewish community. Uh, and their uh, their willingness to to speak out against uh, the Netanyahu government, uh, and our position would be that the the best way to do that would be to work together with and empower uh, those of our natural allies in Israel who are you know who are working against extremely difficult conditions. Well, that raises an inter interesting question, right? I mean, yeah. uh, I, 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 uh, ask both of you: Are is it okay? to criticize the politics or the policies of Benjamin Netanyahu. I think it's more than okay. I think it's an imperative. For an American to do it. For so. an American to do it, for an, for an American Jew to do it, for anyone who cares about Israel's future, because I think that, that Netanyahu is taking Israel in directions that are d destructive and, and disastrous. So to criticize Israel and to criticize publicly Israel, to criticize the government of Israel, yes, the right. leader of Israel, uh, is definitely something that is... That is, I think, uh, the right thing to do, the responsible thing to do. Well, Deborah, I remember being in Israel. I was stunned to see the level of criticism publicly, openly, strongly in the Israeli press. Oh. I, I mean, they're pretty wild, right? I mean, <laughs> even more so than the U.S. press Absolutely. against a U.S. president. I mean, is, Uri is actually the better person to speak up because he's actually a longtime Israeli journalist. Uh, so he he would be a great person to speak out on this. Um, and he can, he can talk more about it. I would just say that, A, you're right. B, Netanyahu is doing everything he can to try to undermine that free press. Um, but... I, I do want to go back to your original question. Is it is it okay for an American to criticize Israel? Um, and Ori responded, you know, of course, I agree with what Ori said, that it's imperative. And he mentioned it's imperative, particularly for American Jews. But, you know, it's easier for us as American Jews um, to criticize Israel and the Israeli government because our... You know, while while Donald Trump would criticize our, you know, question our loyalty, he's obviously, uh, you know, not afraid to go there. No, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> but, you know, we you know, the fact that, for example, Bernie Sanders 
is uh, more vociferous in his criticism of the Israeli government. I think, you know, partly has to do with Bernie and his ideology. But there is something interesting there that the one, you know, Jewish candidate in the race is the clearly the most critical. And, you know, and the way that he's been doing it is to say, I'm Jewish. I have family in Israel. I worked on a kibbutz. But my point is, my point is, it's not only okay for Jews, for American Jews to criticize, for Mm -hmm. Israelis, for Americans to criticize the Israeli government. It is okay and imperative, period. I was recently on a um, on a a talk program. Uh, One of the fellow guests was a Palestinian American activist named Omar Badar, who works at the Arab American Institute. And within short order, he was accused by one of the Israeli guests of being an anti-Semite because he used the word occupation. And he mentioned the fact that the United States gives Israel billions of dollars of aid a year. I mean, these things are incontestable. They are simply facts. And that's absolutely wrong. I, and I, I'm, I feel fortunate that I was there as, as an American Jew to basically say, hey, that's, that's ridiculous. It is absolutely not okay to call him an anti-Semite uh, because he mentions facts. Uh, you know, and I think, again, as, as Jews, we have a certain privilege in that regard, but I think it's incumbent on everyone, on all presidential candidates, for example, to speak truth and to know that it's okay and incumbent upon them to criticize the Israeli government. Couldn't one, I'm not an expert in this area, but couldn't one also make the point that being a Palestinian, he is also a Semite? No, isn't that true? <laughs> so. uh, that but, is so, true. That but, is true. <laughs> so, Ori, you didn't hold back, right? Um, but as Deborah gets to, it's become almost a cliche now that anybody criticizes Netanyahu, they're accused of being anti-Semitic. I know, and that's. I've, I've had that happen to me as a commentator. <laughs> we have to break this. I, I, when you asked me the question initially, I almost a- I answered with with a question of myself: Is it okay to criticize Bolsonaro in 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 Brazil? He is perpetuating fires that are damaging the globe. Netanyahu, as far as I'm concerned, is perpetuating a political fire that is damaging the interest of the entire world in the Middle East between Israelis and Palestinians. You should criticize it. It's the wrong thing to do. That's it. And then once there is, an, I think, there's enough criticism, enough uh, international outrage at this, the it will actually dilute, I think, the wrong argument that criticizing Israel is is akin to anti-Semitism. So is support for Israel a Republican or Democratic issue? Support? <laughs> I, I think that support for Israel is a bipartisan issue. I think that everyone should support Israel. I, I, I always mean, thought it was until recently. Go it, ahead. It, sh- it should be. Um, you know, I'm I'm a dual citizen. I'm, I'm an Israeli patriot. I love Israel. I go there three times a year. I live in the United States now. My family is there. My, fa- my friends are there. I love Israel. I love the principles. I love the ideals upon, it, upon which it was established. I know that there is still a great deal of love here in the United States for those ideals and for what Israel should be. And I would love to see that grow. Unfortunately, there are forces in Israel who are blocking that, who are working day and night in order to diminish that kind of affinity that I think the people of the, the people of the United States have for Israel and the the ideals upon it which it, it upon which it was established so of course I'm getting to the, the fact that Donald Trump particularly is now trying to make this a partisan issue and we yeah. know 
how how he said it. We've heard it so many times when he talked about this disloyalty. In my opinion, you vote for a Democrat, you're being very disloyal to Jewish people, and you're being very disloyal to Israel. And only weak people would say anything other than that. So I don't want to assume too much, Deborah, but I might guess that sometime in your lifetime you might have voted as an American Jew for a Democrat. Um, what do you think when Donald Trump says you're being disloyal to Israel, disloyal to America, or you're just totally ignorant? Well, without revealing anything about my personal <laughs> politics, I you know I should mention that uh, you know that APN is a nonpartisan organization. Yes, yes. Uh, but it is you know we know that seventy to eighty percent of American Jews vote for the Democratic Party in the twenty eighteen midterms. It was. Uh, 79% voted for Democratic candidates uh, in congressional mm -hmm. races. So basically, we just heard Donald Trump call roughly 80% of the American Jewish population disloyal. Uh, and that's absolutely, absolutely shocking. I mean, uh, to call any, to call any American population, Jewish or otherwise, disloyal for an American president to do that, uh, you know, is is mind blowing. Um, and, you know, we should add what is what's amazing here is that uh, we've seen Democratic politicians attacked uh, for perpetuating anti-Semitic tropes, including the well-known dual loyalty trope, right, that says right. that uh, Jews cannot be loyal to the country uh, in which they are citizens. They are, you know, they're inherently rootless cosmopolitans, uh, either loyal uh, to some sort of transnational uh, movement um, or to Israel. Uh, so we've heard, you know, attacks against Democratic politicians, specifically, obviously, I'm talking about Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib. And here we see the president of the United States clearly embracing the dual loyalty trope in a way that that we never saw from those two Democratic congresswomen. And it's it's just absolutely mind boggling. And you might want to get into this, I'll, but you know, let me just say that the target audience for that was not American Jews, right? No. This is not no. an effort to try to win over more American Jews who are two percent of the population of the United States to support Donald Trump. We are not the target audience for that kind of mm -hmm. attack. Yeah, no, I, I, I know you know, <laughs> and you're you're indicating whom he's after, Ori. He's Evangelicals. Or it's the clearly American evangelicals, without right. a doubt, without right. a doubt, and and that's one of the things that's that's so enraging about this. I, I have to say, we would have been as enraged and as offended if a Democratic president would have said that about Republicans, Jews for voting Republican. This is something that we, as as Americans who are advocating for support for Israel and for peace for Israel, we are. Um, one of one of the main issues that we're concerned about is that this maintain uh, a bipartisan issue, a non-political issue, or a non-partisan issue. So the fact that he, as Deborah said, not only um, partisanized it, political in terms of political partisanship, but also um, uh, made this, you know, bowed back to evangelicals in such a crude way is, is really incredibly offensive. One thing that I've never understood um, is that the evangelical support for Israel 
and Israeli acceptance of their support, you know. Um, it, to me, there's a contradiction here because the evangelicals really, what, what I, when I read them and listen to them, they really want Armageddon to happen soon because that means the rapture will happen when all those who believe in Christ will rise up to heaven. But those who don't, including Jews, will be left behind to burn and be destroyed. I mean, what's the connection here? And why don't the Israelis or Jews understand that and reject that? It's really interesting. I mean, in, I know I'm, I'm familiar with the uh, Israeli debate about this issue. And on the Israeli political arena, for a lot of years, there was a debate of whether to make common cause with evangelicals or not. One school said we should wholeheartedly. They support us. Let's accept them. Who cares about their, you know, <laughs> who cares their, about their rapture? Yeah, huh? who cares about their religious agenda? We're non-religion. We're not. In the, the end, we'll see who's right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you go up or you don't. Exactly. Right? And the other school said, "Hey, hey, hey, not not so not so quickly. This is this is a a very touchy thing. This is a very sensitive thing. You shouldn't you should be careful about who you got go to bed with." And to my regret, uh, the 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 former rather than the, than the latter is mm -hmm. now uh, prevailing in Israel, and it's 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 very dangerous. I think very dangerous. It's not just an Israeli government decision. Um, one thing that I found very interesting in uh, in the last couple of years, part of part of my job at APN uh, is to attend the annual APAC policy conference. And I found it fascinating to see the way that APAC, which is the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee, uh, the, the biggest, strongest, most well-known um, pro-Israel lobby uh, of a very, um, I would say, certainly conservative hue, uh, their mandate is to support the policies of the Israeli government, um, the way that they have wholeheartedly uh, made common cause with evangelical Christians it's been fascinating what, when I've gone to those policy conferences to go to panels that are devoted entirely to Christian evangelical support for Israel, uh, and to you know, and to and in fact, I've asked questions. I, I you know see as part of yeah. my role to to you know be a troublemaker and ask questions. And I've asked these uh, these Christian Zionists, what about Christian Palestinian populations in? Uh, both in Israel, in the occupied territories. What about the way that they are discriminated against by the Israeli government? Uh, you know, does this does this trouble you? And and it you know it it doesn't. Dispensationalism, their own mm -hmm. cr you know brand of Christian theology, overrides everything. It's fascinating and uh, not particularly good for the Jews ultimately. Right. And Jim Jeffress, I think that's how you pronounce his name. One of the evangelical ministers was. Uh, invited by President Trump, Benjamin Netanyahu was right there to speak at the opening of the new U.S. Uh, embassy in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And, and, and he's a big, he's one of the main proponents of the rapture. Oh, theory, absolutely. Theory. And not only him, you also had uh, Pastor John Hagee as well, right. uh, who is the head of what is actually uh, the biggest pro-Israel organization, I should say, the biggest pro-Israel organization in the country now is not an American Jewish organization. It's KUFI, Christians United for Israel, 
which has grown explosively. It's only about hmm. 10 years old and it is now, you know, it's got millions of members uh, because obviously there's a much bigger Christian evangelical population to draw from in this country than, than a Jewish one. Before we take a break in talking about what I, we might term phony anti-Semitism, there are evidences, evidence of an incidence, real incidence of real dangerous anti-Semitism uh, in this country today. Um, that must concern you as well. Definitely. And, and we, we see it all over. And it's something that is um, uh, threatening. And one of the things that that's Charlottes, Charlottesville, Charlottesville comes to mind. One of the things that, that is Pittsburgh. threatening about it, and, and that is where, unfortunately, I see the government of Israel playing into mm. this, is the, um, the, the hybrid, the new hybrid politics uh, that put together religion and, and politics. And that's, that's one of the things that worries me the most about evangelicals, going back to that uh, topic for, for a moment, is uh, not just the symbolics of it and, you know, the foreign ideology and so on. It's the bringing the religious content into politics and into decision making. For many years, the Israeli government was very pragmatic and took decisions on the basis of pra pragmatism, what is security, what is, you know, international relations and things like that. Um, today, more and more, and a great part of it is because of opening the door to religious extremists, both Jewish and uh, Christian here in the United States, is the uh, marring the, 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 of, of the uh, political decision-making by religious content. Yeah, we're supposed to have a wall uh, in this country called the separation of church and state, which is aimed at preventing that, of course. Mm. Here it's porous and Israel doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. I want to say a word about this real anti-Semitism, um, which, I mean, I come from uh, from a family. My, my mother's side of the family was wiped out in the Holocaust. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. My mom was born in a di displaced persons camp in Germany after the war. Um, and to... For me, having grown up in the United States and, and having been so blessed with the absence of any of that kind of experience that, you know, that my grandparents went through to, to see a resurgence of, and let's be clear, it's white nationalist anti-Semitism in the United States that has led to multiple shootings in synagogues since Donald mm -hmm. Trump became president. Is, is absolutely terrifying. And let's be really clear that these people have been in, that these terrorists have been encouraged and inspired by our president from the White House. And getting back to this, you know, to the US-Israel issue, I think what is an, an addition on this that is so upsetting to American Jews is that Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government have seen it as their job to try to absolve Donald Trump for any responsibility for what's going on in the United States. And I refer you after the after the massacre in the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh, who greeted mm -hmm. Donald Trump when he went to pay his respects 
Was it a member of the American Jewish community? No, the American Jewish community had no interest in, in I mean, the, in fact, the majority of American Jews assigned Donald Trump responsibility for what happened there. It was the Israeli ambassador to the United States, Ron Dermer, who greeted the president when he showed up in Pittsburgh. And when you have those massacres in Pittsburgh and Poway and California. So the official state government of, official government of Israel basically this, this blessing Donald Trump. Blessing Donald Trump, right? Rather than speaking out against anti-Semitism in the United States, the, fam, fa, the flames of which are fanned by Donald Trump, you in fact have Netanyahu with his extremely close and com totally dysfunctional relationship with Donald Trump, basically trying to absolve him of any responsibility. And we saw that as well with the disloyalty comments. Was there any attempt by the Israeli government, by Netanyahu or otherwise, to say, Listen, good friend Donald Trump, you are way out of line. Absolutely not. Nothing. It's it's an incestuous relationship, and 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 involved in this is the other ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Israel. I hope we'll have a chance to talk about that too, because there is a, there's a real danger here. Let me just interrupt you and say we will. Okay. But right now, uh, we got to take a break. We'll take a, a quick break. And we're talking today with uh, Deborah Shushan from. Uh, De Americans for Peace Now and Ori Neer from Americans for Peace Now. And we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox. Uh, they're the good people who keep our federal uh, agencies running both here in Washington, D.C. and around the country day in and day out. They're there to serve us, proud to get up and work for America every day. We thank them for their good work, for all their good work for this country, and for their support of the Bill Press Pod. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with Deborah Shishan and uh, Ori Neer from Americans for Peace Now. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Ambassador David uh, Friedman. Uh, checking your website, I, I know that you, uh, the as an organization, opposed his nomination by Donald Trump. He was confirmed. He is now there. Why did you oppose him? And um, how do you rate his performance since he's been uh, our ambassador in Israel? Who starts? Yeah, Ari, so we, we uh, sure, yeah, we never can't wait to chime in. Exactly. So we'll do it together. Uh, we, we opposed him because of what he did and what he said before he became ambassador, which is absolutely shocking. I mean, if you look at his track record, he had a column uh, in a Jewish newspaper in the United States, and he has written prolifically about the conflict about Israel. His views are really to the right of Attila the Hun. They are really, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, they are more right-wing than the most right-wing Israeli uh, party in the Knesset. I'm not exaggerating. And this man was nominated to be the United States ambassador to Israel. 
He squeaked through confirmation hearing in, hearings in the Senate and then became ambassador. And I'm now going to hand it to my colleague, Deborah, who will talk a little bit about this track record since becoming ambassador and how we document it. Right. So so let me just say, in terms of those confirmation Which hearings, you can find out if you go to the website for Americans for Peace. Thank you now. for the plug. All right. So thank you for the... <laughs> yes. So let me just... Let me... Okay. Since you've just given us a plug on that, um, I would encourage anyone listening uh, to go to our website, uh, peacenow.org, and look for the Friedman file. And you will find an extensive documentation. We have their documentation of... of uh, all these significant milestones, uh, things that David Friedman has done as ambassador. And you'll also find if you scroll all the way to the bottom, uh, we have documented uh, key uh, things that David Friedman said before he became ambassador, which informed Americans mm -hmm. for Peace Now's decision to oppose him in the first place. Um, but so to talk a little bit, you know, David Friedman, when he was confirmed, um, had to walk back nearly everything that he stood for uh, before before he became nominated to be ambassador to Israel. So much so that a number of members of the Senate, uh, this includes Bob Corker, uh, who at that time was the chair mm -hmm. of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, Bob Menendez, uh, the ranking member, um, said, you know, you're, you're experiencing a, a conversion here and we're seeing a nomination conversion. You seem to be walking back everything you've ever believed in, including, by the way, uh, David Friedman had written quite explicitly about his distaste for the two-state solution, the establishment of a Palestinian state. And during his confirmation hearing, he said he thought that it was the, the best approach. I mean, he, he, you know, went, he walked back everything in order to attain this goal of being of becoming US ambassador to Israel and since he has been ambassador he has taken the bull I mean you, in in some ways you got to give the man kudos because he has taken the bull by the horns he knows that he has you know uh 4 years maybe more god forbid but you know he's got 4 years to try to enact the agenda that he had spelled out quite Absolutely. explicitly before he became ambassador and he has worked methodically to make that happen and as we see pundits pontificate about the kushner plan what will it contain when will we see it that is all a ridiculous distraction smokescreen because on the ground, David Friedman has been orchestrating implementation of his plan, which is to derail any possibility for a two-state solution ever being implemented to make sure that a Palestinian state can never be established and that Israel will be able to uh, solidify its control over uh, at least significant portions, uh, certainly the settlements, uh, of what he would refer to as Judea and Samaria, in other words, uh, the West Bank. And he has been extraordinarily effective, which is why we at Americans for Peace Now uh, have gone to the this extensive effort to document exactly what this one man, David Friedman, has been, has been up to, because he is... Yeah. The mastermind of it all. And he's doing it, of course, with the support of Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu oh, right? absolutely. So, Ori, is the two-state solution dead um, or just dormant? And what what kind of Israel do we have without a two-state solution? 
the two-state solution is not dead. It's it's definitely dormant. I want to just reiterate something mm-hmm. that that Deborah said because it was kind of a, 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 folded into into her comments here, and that is the the U.S. policy on this two, two-state solution. I think that it's incredibly important to understand that what the Trump administration is trying to do is to reverse. They have they have shifted to reverse a policy that the United States has held since President Clinton of advancing the idea of a, an independent Palestinian state. They have shifted to reverse and they're in full full gas. A policy adopted and supported by Republican and Democratic Absolutely. administrations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and both, both administrations, Democratic and, and Republican, have tried hard to advance it. It is clear that this administration uh, is not does not support it, and what we're trying to do is revolutionary. It's no less than revolutionary. It's really important to understand that all the talk about a peace plan is, as Deborah said, is smoke and mirrors. Now, to your question about the two-state solution. Yes, the two-state solution is dormant. Every day that passes makes it more difficult to attain. I think it still is attainable, and I know that it's basically the only chance, the only real scenario that can bring real peace in the future between Israelis and Palestinians. And therefore, we as an organization are really redoubling our efforts to try to to push for it. And Deborah, what's, is the proper role of the United States, we always thought that it was to be an, I think the phrase was, honest broker. Oh. That's gone for now. But is that what our, the proper role for the United States, as you see it, would be? I, yes, I think so. I mean, I think uh, think the United States should be working to be an honest broker. Uh, I think the United States should pursue American national interests, uh, which call for uh, peace between Israelis and Palestinians, which, as Ori said, will will only come uh, with a two state solution. I, you know, I do think that we should acknowledge as well, though, I mean, uh, as much as two states have been U.S. policy under Democrats and Republicans for a very long time, um, the the U.S. administration, what we're seeing now under the Trump administration, obviously, is absolutely extreme and is a uh, a move to abandon any desire or pretense to uh, to be even handed. But you know, I mean, have we seen the United States acting as as an even handed broker up until now? Uh, no, I mean, the United States has always put its thumb on the scales in favor of uh, the Israelis over the Palestinians. And and that's very problematic because uh, because Israel is the stronger party. And in order for uh, for Israeli Palestinian peace, in order for there to be a two state solution, uh, the United States is going to have to put pressure on Israel as the stronger of the two parties, not to say that Israel is at fault for everything. There's plenty of fault to be spread around. But, you know, let's let's be honest. Let's be realistic. Israel obviously is the stronger of two parties. Israel is the occupier. Uh, and we have had administrations in the past, including Republican administrations, especially, frankly, Republican administrations. I mean, if you look back at actions that were taken by the the um, George H. W. Bush administration uh, in regard to the loan guarantees, um, if you look at uh, Reagan in terms of the way that President Reagan reacted. Uh, when Israel annexed the Golan Heights, if you look at what the Eisenhower administration did during the Suez crisis, we've had Republican administrations mm-hmm. that have exercised significant pressure on Israel. And what what I think is is concerning here, 
And I want to return to something that you talked about much earlier in the podcast, is this question of support for Israel as a partisan issue. And I think we have to revisit and examine what we mean by support for Israel. My concern is that increasingly, and particularly with uh, the influence of evangelical Christians, support for Israel in the United States is increasingly defined as wholehearted carte blanche, carte blanche support for the policies of a right-wing Israeli government with absolutely no criticism. And this is revolutionary, right? I, I think back to Michael Oren, uh, when he was Israeli ambassador to the United States and something that he said as ambassador, which is that there should be no daylight between the U.S. and Israel. But what he meant by that was that as, as close allies, any disagreement between the two parties should be expressed behind closed doors and not in public. Now, you can, you can criticize that. But what's happening now is that we're taking that a step further to say that there can't even be be disagreements between the U.S. and Israel, that their interests have to be exactly the same. It's not just an issue of disagreements can't even be expressed privately. They can't even exist. And when you have a right wing Israeli government that is violating Israel's long term interests in peace with the Palestinians, that's not in Israel's interest. And it's not certainly not in America's national interests. Uh, I know we're just about the end of our time together, but I can't uh, shut, shut things up and, and uh, move on without asking you, because you kind of raised the issue. Uh, there is an election coming up mm -hmm. within a couple of weeks where the direction of Israeli politics inside Israel might change. Um, what's going on and how do you view it? And what's Americans for Peace now doing about it? So we should we should just put things in context really quickly. This is the second election second round, round. Mm -hmm. uh, after one that was unsuccessful in the sense that Prime Minister Netanyahu was un incapable of putting together a coalition that was in April. This is a kind of a second chance for him to 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 do that. A mulligan, and yeah, exactly, <laughs> mulligan. Yeah, for, uh, and therefore uh, there is much less interest in in these elections. Uh, the Israeli public is tired. And I think that many other people who are following uh, what mm -hmm. is happening in Israel are also tired of it. And that's a tragedy because um, these elections are not really about the issues. They're not about the issues. And there are many issues besides the issue of peace that we focus on, which Israel has to deal with and, and, and has to pay attention to. This is really a certain, you know... This is, this is all about Netanyahu. This is about Netanyahu's character and about his conduct and so on and so forth. Um... I, I doubt it very much that these elections will bring about a change in the Israeli political scene, a change in government. Uh, Netanyahu is most likely to become prime minister again and put together a coalition. The question, the main question will be whether he will put together a right-wing coalition as he had before or um, unite, or not, not unite, put together a coalition together with a party called Blue and White, which is a centrist party that has really not shown its colors, although it's called blue and white. We don't know exactly what it's about uh, so far. Um, and that's, I think, a pretty likely uh, possibility. Right. I want to add... Are you hopeful, Deborah? Am I hopeful? Let, 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 me, let me go back to the U.S.-Israel okay. um, 
aspect of this here. Um, what I'm very concerned about uh, is both in Israel and in the United States and beyond, one of the things I'm very concerned about is what I see as a global recession in democracy, uh, particularly under liberal, uh, illiberal populist uh, leaders like Donald Trump, like Benjamin Netanyahu. And um, what we're seeing in Israel, uh, certainly in the context of the elections and, and before, is an assault on Israeli democracy, as imperfect as it is, uh, by, by Benjamin Netanyahu, who is basically seeking to do things like uh, attack the Supreme Court um, in order uh, in order to basically stay out of jail uh, with the uh, the corruption charges that he faces, mm -hmm. he's very likely to be indicted on on multiple counts of corruption, um, and that's not something that's just happening in Israel. I mean, we see we see attacks on democracy here under the Trump administration. Uh, you know, we wake up to see that uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is trying to shut down the British Parliament in order to shove through uh, a a no deal Brexit. And I think that I think that we have to speak truth here about what's going on. You know, we're not afraid to talk about as progressives, we're not afraid to talk about Donald Trump attacking the very institutions of democracy in the United States. And we can't be afraid to talk about it with regard to Israel. So when American politicians, you know, you hear them on in both parties. Talk, and, and rightly so, right? Talk about the shared values that undergird the U.S.-Israel relationship. Let's be clear that those shared values are under assault both here at home and in Israel. And let's see an end to these godforsaken um, APAC missions to Israel where politicians genuflect and you act as though everything is perfect and Israeli democracy is thriving and wonderful. There are no problems. Let's speak truth. These same, certainly the Democrats on these trips would not in any way hesitate to talk about what Donald Trump is doing regarding democratic institutions in the United States. Why are they so unwilling to speak truth to our ally? the Israeli government and the Israeli people. All right, and with that invitation of warning, and that's why we need the strong voices of Americans for Peace Now, and Peace Now uh, in Israel as well. Thank you so much, Deborah Shishan and Ori Neer for joining us today. Thanks to the great work of Americans for Peace Now. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening. And please, if you haven't already subscribed, do so right now. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts and subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. It's free. And while you're there, help us grow the podcast by giving us a big fat five-star rating and tell your friends to subscribe too. Again, this is a joint podcast with PeaceCast, the podcast of Americans for Peace Now. So um, I have told people where they can find us. Ori Near, the host of PeaceCast. Your turn. Yes. Uh, so we're both, we're on all the platforms uh, uh, and it would be great if you rate us on the, on the Apple uh, app. And uh, as I always say, with any kind of feedback or comments, please email me at onir at peacenow.org. Thank you very much, Bill, for hosting us and for uh, doing this joint 
production, no, the school production, and a great conversation and a lot of uh, a lot of valuable insights for uh, for me and for all of our listeners. So thank you again, uh, Deborah and Ori. Thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod and the next edition of Peacecast. Cast.